Welcome to episode 275 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps thanking you for choosing to spend your time with us again this week. I'd like you to take a moment to ask yourself one question today. Am I living in my heart or am I living in my head? If you're spending more time in your head than in your heart, today's show is perfect for you. Sarah Blondin is an author and podcast host whose work has been translated into several languages and is used in prison, recovery, and wellness programs. Her new book, Heart-Minded, How to Hold Yourself and Others in Love, tells us how we can get out of our heads and into our hearts to find our true selves and learn how to discover and attain what it is we truly need. Sarah, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Paula. I'm glad you could spend some time with us today because you have a new book called Heart-Minded that I think a lot of our listeners are going to love learning about. So I think to start this out, can you explain what it means to be heart-minded? It's essentially finding a way to live from the seat of the heart. And for everyone that can, you know, be a little bit confusing, well, what does that really mean to live in the seat of the heart? And to me, the heart is very much kind of our grounded center. And if you just kind of put your hand on your heart and bow your head a little bit, you notice there's kind of a, a difference in energetics that kind of come up. Your body softens, your being softens. There's a little more receptivity, a little more freedom, openness, calmness. What I think is happening so often is we're living so much in the mind and the mind is kind of a very frenetic problem-solving place and it's always reaching for the future. So becoming heart-minded is essentially finding a way to start living our lives from that different perspective with the hand on the heart. And then once we start living from the heart, we actually ask the heart to start infusing the mind so that we begin kind of seeing and breathing life through the lens of the heart. And how does that change the way that we view life? A good example. With my little kids, if I'm scared, my first reaction will be with kind of like a fear or an anger. It's usually transmitted as an anger. You're not eating the right foods. I'm worried that you're not going to feel good today. And my reaction is usually that of anger. And I'll start getting pretty frustrated. And before I know it, I've kind of gone into this very frustrated, tizzy, and back and forth with my children. And if I stop, instead of spiraling further down into that reactivity and I put my hand on my heart and I pause and I take a breath and I drop down to that spot of tenderness, I'm then able to start seeing myself for the way I'm behaving, inviting compassion, a softness, being able to connect with my children again from the heart. And then it moves out of that anger and that kind of tornado of that energy drops down into a more softer place. And what I'm practicing now is just to say, I'm sorry. Usually when I'm scared, I react in anger. And then I explain it to my children. So it kind of starts to change the way you're communicating with everything. Instead of that very automatic, angry or fear-based or depression-based kind of reaction, you bring it into the heart and actually starts to make it a more vulnerable and tender experience with those you love and everything you kind of come to touch. Because we have kind of gotten into a, a world where we pretty much override our heart and go straight to the mind. It's like Entire. if you get to that amygdala and pull that, that lever and yeah. set everything off. Exactly. And that was kind of the whole reason for this. And, and it's because I lived a lot like that, <laughs> being up in the mind and feeling the suffering of that and, and feeling 
the strain on my relationships and the strain that, you know, if you're creating this strain and you're living all up in the brain and you're kind of always reaching for the future and you're always kind of mad at the present, everything starts to suffer under that light. And that's when I think we start to feel that overwhelming anxiety. We start to feel the depression because we're not connecting in love. We're not connecting from our hearts, which I believe is kind of a reason for existence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of living backwards, not knowing what this pain is all about, but it's essentially because we've muffled, guarded, protected, left the seat of our hearts that we're in so much distress. Even if, you know, it's so easy to see with our children, our partners, and you can see it with COVID and just the stress that this has ignited. But if you really do just drop into the heart, you start to see one another a bit differently. You start connecting with the universal whole. You start feeling the pain of others and then are able to sit with that more gently without the reactivity, you know. Now, how did you come up on this principle? This was from my own suffering, Paula. (laughs) (laughs) Yay for suffering. Look. Oh, yay for suffering. I mean, there is a lot of beauty in suffering if, if we are following to the whispers of spirit, so to speak, or the heart. But I really noticed when I was younger that I started going into the fear part of the mind. Life wasn't safe. And I started living, you know, before you know it, it's very hypnotic, you know? You're kind of stuck in the trap in the loop of the mind before you really are able to snap out of it. It takes a lot of practice, actually. But when I was younger, I just, I really developed that life wasn't safe, life was overwhelming. And then I started living in the fear entirely. And then it wasn't until I had my first son that I moved out of the city, kind of isolated myself in the countryside, started reconnecting with nature, that I had to face up to all my tendencies of blocking my heart. And then I started journaling pretty religiously and a really strong discipline around that. And I started really softening and coming down from the fearful mind into the heart by way of intimacy with myself. So it's really been a practice, all these you know, prompts in my book are from my own personal practices that I've used to self-soothe and kind of comfort myself when I notice, you know, we're kind of spiraling into a a reality we don't really like so much. Now, is it easier over time? Like once you start Mm -hmm. adapting, like if you make the heart-minded practice, first, that's going to seem really unnatural, I think. Yes. Very much. And you're going to meet with your cynic and you're going to meet with the walls of the heart, which are essentially cynicism, maybe a bit, you know, oh, the heart, oh, love, you know, meeting with all those kind of inner critic, the cliches, right? But I mean, it's really quite true. And this is all we really want is to feel love and connection with one another. So we have to override those automatic tendencies. And also something you're going to meet when you come into the heart is, like I said, I had to meet my old habits and my protection methods, which are quite painful. And the reasons you've done that and the reasons you've left your heart is usually quite a painful experience. So once you start talking to the heart, you'll have to fight off that impulse to run away. And then once you let the heart kind of start opening a little bit, it starts releasing its perfume, so to speak, and it will start to envelop the body and the mind and the psyche into a state that you can actually start to relax into. But yes, Paula, you know, with anything good, with anything worthwhile, (laughs) this does take practice, does take work, and it does take having to meet a lot of the pain that's living inside of you as well. There's nothing to be afraid of. And that's kind of the point of this book is to say, you know, 
I know these things exist because I've met them and none of the human experience is alien to me. I can understand pretty much all the predicaments we're in and I know it can be a frightening thing. So this book was kind of like, here, let's just baby step our way into the heart, make it feel safe and help you walk through those kind of walls of resistance. And it's timely in that, you know, man, what better time to get in touch with your heart? And it's, there's a lot of conflict going on around us. There's a lot of uncertainty and suffering and, and all these things are being heaped on our own personal experience on top of what we're carrying around inside of us. So mm-hmm. what's going on with our hearts and how much work is this going to take to kind of sort these things into the right bin and, and get it all figured out? Well, unfortunately, I think the answer is this is an ongoing process <laughs> of evolution. I think we're just starting. We're just babies in the realm of connecting with the heart. So I think there will need to be maybe a lot of discomfort for us to start looking for an alternative route. And I think that's actually happening. I mean, a lot of my work, I have some work on an app called Insight Timer, you know, the influx of people coming in to actually explore the heart and the spirit is pretty beautiful right now. So I think people are starting to see, you know, all of this conflict is maybe a result of, you know, the individual wars and the individual suffering that we have inside that we are upholding. So I think there is a veil kind of lifting, so to speak. So I have great hope right now, actually. And that's good to hear, because as Mm -hmm. someone who is putting this into practice, do you feel like it's maybe easier for you to manage all the things going on around us right now? I'm using the fear that's coming up in my body. I'm using the distress. I'm using the anxiety. And what I, what I mean when I'm saying using is I'm trying to use it as fuel to help me redirect me to the heart. So I think the heart will kind of create these feelings of distress if we've wandered too far from it. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's a little warning sign that says you've, you've left home and you're feeling these feelings of distress because you need to circle back. And once I, you know, I'll feel the anxiety, I'm human, I'm still feeling the waves of distress going on all around us right now, every one of us. But I take that distress and instead of, you know, really getting lost in it, I have a pretty strong practice where I will go and I'll either journal or I'll sit quietly with myself and I'll actually let the feelings overwhelm me under my loving awareness. I let it come Instead of, you know, the mind really just wants us to pay attention to something and then it can start to settle back into the heart. So if we just let it run its course and run its storm, usually we can drop back into the heart again. So you can use this experience right now, not to not feel these things, but to feel them. And then I think that's what's being asked of all of us is to kind of feel the lingering pain that hasn't been healed as a collective society. And once we start to feel that, there's a pretty organic process that starts taking place if you are devoted to the heart. If you remain seated in the heart, you kind of become medicine to others. If you're with someone who's in a a large level of distress and you are grounded in that gentle, open-minded, open-hearted energy, you notice that other person starting to embody that energy as well. So if you just let yourself feel this distress, use it as a call home, it can actually start to, I think, change the foundation here. That's really important because that's what 
a lot of us want. <laughs> right. That's what we all want. So, I mean, in some backwards way, this is a very beautiful time in history that's saying, you know, you choose. And ultimately, life is a you choose kind of, you choose which way. You choose what you feel. You choose how you deal with it. So, yeah, that's why I'm really glad my book came out at the time that it is because there is a version of this life that we can become very powerful and potent in our presence. All these structures around us can kind of crumble, but what we have agency over is how we are standing in this world. Are we contributing to this chaos or are we, you know, being the medicine that we all want? Right. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about is solitude. So can you explain to us what that is? Mm -hmm. Well, solitude is my play on the word solitude because, you know, my book and all of my work came from and were made possible by immersion into solitude, solitude. And what that means is, you know, I physically removed myself from the city. I was living in downtown Vancouver with my husband. I got pregnant with my first son and, and my body basically yelled at me to get out of the city and find stillness. So I immersed myself into solitude because all I had was my husband and tumbleweed rolling down my street. <laughs> and like I said, the first thing we kind of meet when we enter solitude is the level of the environment that's inside of us, right? All that stuff kind of comes out. Oh, I usually run to my coffee shop when I feel this feeling, or I usually go to yoga to try and soothe this feeling, or, you know, you really notice your habits of escape and your tendencies to escape. So solitude, while it's not comfortable at first, can become this incredible breeding ground for creativity, for purpose, and for healing. So that was very much my experience moving into the country and having being a new mother. That's when I really developed a strong spine for spiritual work, seeking. That's where I started really learning and practicing my own practices and discovering what's inside of you underneath all the, the other stuff. But I think it's really important to, you know, I know everyone can't move into the country. I know that's not realistic. But I saw before, you know, forcing myself into solitude, how little time I would spend nurturing myself in that way. It was always something I kind of avoided and filled. My time was always filled. But when you do that, it's kind of like developing a, a deficiency in vitamins. You know, there is a tremendous wealth inside of us that sustains us. And we spend um, not very much time nurturing that. So, so how can someone, if they... Live in the city. Live in the city. And yeah. especially right now, if they're stuck home with like family and yeah. a lot of people living together, how do you find that solitude? Because there is a way to create your solitude space, even mm -hmm. in of people. How do you recommend they do that? I mean, I would just find a quiet room and devote certain times a day where you're, you're sitting in silence. You just go into a room. Sometimes I'll notice throughout, I have practice time, so I have my morning 10 minutes. I've added since COVID an afternoon practice <laughs> and an <laughs> evening practice. So COVID gave me a little more practice time in there. So I have 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, sometimes even an hour in the afternoon if my baby's nap. And I will lie out on the floor and I will do 
just making my nervous system relax, taking deep breaths, relaxing certain parts of my body, noticing any clenching. So, you know, and then I get really, oh, I just let everything go in that hour. And in the night I do kind of a closing up meditation for 10 minutes and then I do a little journaling as well. And I know that seems like a lot. And at first it might feel like, oh, I got to go do my stuff. But (laughs) (laughs) what happens is it becomes like really fun and you actually start craving it more and more. Like now I've become such a solitude junkie, Paula. <laughs> that it's hard for me to see people now because I just love it myself so much. You know, like that, like, I'm, I'm not sorry, I can't okay. spend time with you. I have to be alone right now. <laughs> I'm just too happy by myself. <laughs> but it is true. I'd like to set a challenge up because it does, it does really work. Yeah. But it is hard to adjust to that because just sitting there and being with your thoughts, being quiet, mm-hmm. being still can be really challenging for people. So how do we, we adapt definitely. to that? Let the challenge be there and take it as a, I don't know, bet you can't do that kind of challenge. <laughs> you know, challenge well, whatever it takes, right? <laughs> whatever it takes, you know, like, and ask yourself, is turning away from yourself and not doing this work worth the amount of disconnect and suffering you feel you're in like is it really worth it to you like you know it got to the point for me where I was just so tired of being in pain and suffering without agency and not knowing my inner strength I just got so sad you know life gets really hard in that arena so you know, you kind of have to be at the place, maybe you might have to be at that place where it gets so hard that you need something else. But instead of waiting till it becomes unbearable, (laughs) even just wake up in the morning, I love you, I'm listening, you know, gentle prompts to the self, to the heart. Maybe even when you're noticing like you're washing the dishes, you're a bit frustrated or you're yelling at your kids, you just Put the hand on the heart. I love you. I'm listening. I'm here for you. And that can only take, you know, five seconds of your day, but you'll notice something. Something will start to happen to you. So maybe ease in that way. Yeah, that's a real good reset that just touching the heart and talking softly to yourself is a great, great way to do that. It's so easy. And it helps you. It does it for you. You know, as much as we think, oh, we got to do it. It's like the heart <laughs> really does Once you start paying attention to the heart, there's a pretty organic opening that happens. And it does start to kind of soothe us, not Mm -hmm. us, it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a nice little resource if you're aware of it. Yeah, it takes practice, but it doesn't take a lot to start that practice. I mean, it's pretty. It has to basically take a willingness and then remembering, basically just remembering. So, and then it becomes its own discipline eventually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now I want to talk about another thing that you talk about, which is muscling our way back to the heart, which gives us great visual. (laughs) But can you explain to us what that means? I say muscling because at first it can be very hard. (laughs) These habits and kind of patterns that we've upheld for our whole lives, essentially, are pretty deeply ingrained. So it's almost like, imagining taking a pick to stone and carving a new road. It can feel like that sometimes. And a part of us really wants to stay where we've been. 
really wants to stay in our patterns of depression and anxiety, really wants to stay in that powerless place. I know that part of myself. I know there's a part of each of us that just wants to stay kind of asleep. And we just want to be swept along by the current. We don't really want to get our feet up underneath us and and discover all our hidden powers. That's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't make me do that. That's too much. That's too much. Don't. And I remember, Paula, when I first started the journey, I kind of had an epiphany where I woke up. I did one of my first spiritual courses, and I realized I had tremendous responsibility now. It was like someone turned the light on in the closet, and I went, uh-oh. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> like I realized the magnitude of it, and I just felt so overwhelmed by what that could mean. So I know the no inside of us and I know how strong that no is. So that's where the muscling comes in because you're exploring yourself for a reason. You're starting to seek for a reason. You're starting to pick up books called heart minded for a reason. And it's because you want to move out of those patterns and those ruts, but you can't pretend you're not going to come up, you know, with your history of the way you've existed and we can do that again by just doing subtle things like putting the hand on the heart, telling ourselves, I love you, I'm listening, reconnecting the self with the heart just in really, really, really subtle ways. But it can feel like an uphill battle for sure. And on some days I'm still in that place, but now I'm okay with being in that place. I feel like I have some sort of control now, even if pain does come up. I'm like, okay, I've got things, tools that will help me reground and I don't feel so helpless and hopeless anymore. So I'm, I'm less inclined to be despairing, you know? See, that's good to hear because mm-hmm. as people are going through this and experiencing that themselves. Now they know that's perfectly normal. It's kind of part of the process. Right. And then just ignore that and choose the heart, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all part of the process. And I think the part, you know, not knowing that that's part of the process, you can get easily hypnotized again into falling into that sleepy state of existence. But knowing that that's part of it, oh, this is here, my resistance is here, and I'm still going to choose to write in my journal. I'm still going to choose to meditate for 10 minutes here. I'm still going to sit with my chaos for a little bit without distraction. I mean, that's really where we start developing the muscle of the heart. So as people have time, and have the realization that they can become more heart-minded, what are a couple of things that they can do right now to start that journey? I would say journaling and writing has been the reason that I woke up. The reason that I've become devoted to my heart was through writing. And even if you're not a writer, I know people are like, well, I'm not a writer. It's not about that. It's essentially about sitting down and write, let's say, three pages flow writing, you don't stop your page, you don't stop your pen, Paula, and you let it flow. So you start with, I feel like garbage. (laughs) (laughs) And usually my first three pages are usually just a purge of pent up stuff that I'm feeling. And then I start coming in with this gentle voice. And that's kind of what most, how most of my book was written was that gentle voice. But I would develop a practice of writing if you can, just to let everything out Because essentially what happens on the inside is the mind gets so crowded with stuff that you are trying to organize and chew through that it has nowhere to go. And once you get it on the page, you free up all the space. And the mind doesn't have to work so hard to get you to pay attention to something. 
So I think one of my biggest tools for awakening and connecting with the heart is a journaling practice. So that's good to know. Sarah, when I come back, I'm going to tell the listeners how they can find your book and where they can go to learn more about you. But thank you for coming on and talking about this. This is a very timely and very, very interesting topic for us. I'm so happy to be here, Paula, and thank you for creating the space for clearer thought (laughs) to come through. So thank you. That was Sarah Blondin, author of Heart Minded, How to Hold Yourself and Others in Love. If you'd like to learn more about Sarah, her podcast, and her other work, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That's all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.